Hello and welcome to the podcast. I hope all of you are doing well. My name is Derek Kanijo and today I'm going to be talking about asset bubbles. As a student of financial history, this is one of my favorite topics. Asset bubbles are really fascinating from a human behavior point of view. Usually the people participating know that there is a speculative mania going on, but it is very hard to stay on the sidelines. I want to stick to the case study format because I think this is a great way to learn. I'll be talking about three asset bubbles today the tulip mania, the Japanese asset bubble, and the dot-com bubble. Let's start with the tulip mania. Nearly 400 years ago, we had the first great speculative mania. The object of speculation of all things was tulip bulbs, and the rush to invest in tulip bulbs swept the entire country of Holland. People converted their real estate into cash so that they could buy these flowers. And as long as the prices of the tulips kept going up, it attracted new buyers, which pushed prices up even further. So you had a positive feedback loop going on. However, in 1637, prices of tulips came crashing down and the bubble ended. It seems that the air always comes out of the balloon faster than it goes in. There's a book called The Crowd by Gustave Le Bon, which discusses crowd psychology. It was published in 1895 in French. The words investment, market, dividend, earnings, and cash do not appear in the book which is kind of interesting. Let's move on to the Japanese asset bubble. This was the mother of all bubbles because the Japanese real estate and the stock market were in a bubble at the same time. From 1955 to 1990, the value of Japanese real estate increased by more than 75 times. To illustrate how crazy the prices were, the value of all the real estate in Tokyo was worth as much as all of the real estate in the United States. Just selling the Imperial Palace in Tokyo alone would have raised enough cash to buy all of California. During the same period, Japan's Nikkei index increased 100 times. The index peaked in 1990 when it hit a high of 40,000 points. Fast forward to today, the index is at 29,000. So it has gone nowhere for 30 years. And you know what they say, the more fun the party, the worse the hangover. So after 30 years, the hangover still continues. With that being said, Japan looks like a good hunting ground for value investors. Our third example is the dot-com bubble. During the 1990s, the internet was taking off. The stocks of internet-related companies, many of them unprofitable, were bid up to the sky. In this new world, sales and profits were irrelevant. What counted was new metrics such as eyeballs. You know, the the number of people viewing your website. In March 2000, the Nasdaq peaked at 5,000. People were literally pulling money out of all economy stocks and putting it in pets.com. Even real companies were selling at crazy prices. Microsoft traded at 75 times earnings and Coke was at 40 times earnings. But like all other asset bubbles, this one also eventually popped. The silver lining from the dot-com bubble was that it helped spawn some really great businesses. For example, we got eBay and Amazon.com, which are really fantastic businesses. Um, The economist, John Kenneth Galbraith, wrote a great book called A Short History of Financial Euphoria. I highly recommend it. In the book, he talks about the brevity of financial memory and how quickly we forget that something similar has happened in the past. So just a few years after the dot-com bubble, we saw another bubble but this time in housing. 
Sir Isaac Newton um, tried to profit from the South Sea bubble and he lost money. He famously said, I can calculate the motions of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of crowds. Similarly, the legendary investor Stanley Druckenmiller, who was working for George Soros during the dot-com bubble, knew full well that tech stocks were in a bubble. But he said he couldn't stand seeing others make an easy couple percent per day, so he invested billions within hours at the top. My takeaway is that if these two brilliant minds couldn't get away with it, I am not going to try. I think a good rule is to not try to profit from bubbles because if you're successful, you'll try to do it again. Now, you might ask, so what will the next great speculative episode be? Unfortunately, I don't know and I don't think anyone does either. But one thing is certain. We will see more asset bubbles in our lifetime. And because of social media, bubbles can and I think are getting formed and popped within a shorter time span. I want to share a quote from John Maynard Keynes. He was an, econ- he was an economist, but also an investor. He famously wrote, when the capital deployment of a country becomes a byproduct of the activities of a casino, the job is likely to be ill done. I think what he's trying to say is that legalized gambling causes capital to be misallocated, which hurts the economy. I want to end this episode by talking about reform. What are some of the steps we can take in the capital markets to reduce the frequency and magnitude of future asset bubbles? For starters, I think short sellers play a particularly useful role. The best short sellers such as Jim Chanos do a massive amount of research. I think the SEC should occasionally ask the best short sellers to pitch them their favorite shots. I know it's a bit unorthodox. I think this is a good way to uncover frauds and fads. If I'm not mistaken, Chanos had short positions in Enron, Luckin Coffee, and Wirecard, all of which collapsed because of an accounting scandal. I think I think people like him play a useful role in that they act as a canary coal mine as a as a canary in the coal mine by warning retail investors. Another another idea is to tax short-term capital gains at higher rates in order to discourage frequent trading of stocks. People would think very hard before they buy anything. Companies would also benefit because they would now because they will now adopt a longer time horizon to match the holding period of their investors. This would, I think, greatly decrease the trading volume and make the short stock market a little more illiquid. However, I think the long-term payoff is worth it. That is all for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Until next time.